0: What we have to do is we have to begin in in Genesis. Now, when we look in the book of Genesis, because this is where history began, time and history, and even the prophetic plan of God begins right here. We see it in Genesis chapter one, one through 31. God was was creating the world, okay? Some believe that there's a space in between Genesis one, verse one and two. In the beginning, God created created the earth. And then verse two, and the earth was without form and void. Some would believe that God wouldn't create something like that. Some believe that that was a result of it losing its beauty, even in that sense, was because of the angelic conflict. Okay, and that's why, and we'll see that too, even when Christ uh, completed the work on the cross, he was not only completing everything about the earth, but about all the heavens, <laughs> as far as they extend. And that's why, even in Job 15, verse 15, it says, Even the heavens are not clean in his sight, because that's where the angelic conflict came, but came from in there in, in eternity. Now, very, very simply, very simply, whether it is that or not, or whether it was the earth and God just created it. Okay? The issue is that everything that God did from that point on, from that point on, from, from Genesis chapter 1, verses 3, all the way to verse 31, everything he did, he did, God did, was good because only good is in him. It's, his very, it's a part of his very nature in Exodus 34 and verse 6. Then, of course, we know God rested. He rested from his work and in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. That's the Sabbath rest, Saboath, the Sabbath rest of God, where he rested from all his works. And these are types, obviously, that point to what Christ accomplished because we're the height, you and I in Christ, are the height of his creation. So nevertheless, he creates, and you can see what he does in Genesis 2 and verse 7. He creates man from the dust of the ground. He creates him from the dust of the ground. And he breathes into him. And the Hebrew said says the breath of lives. Because as a race, that is, that race is is passed on through this, you know, through the genetical code. And so it's the race, Adam and Eve, would procreate. They procreate. The angels don't, they're a host. They're created all at once. And so then we see. He, he takes the woman out of him, right? After he forms Adam, and then Adam names all, he names all these, all these creations of God. God says, okay, you name them. So we know he wasn't a caveman. He didn't evolve from a monkey or a chimp. He was very brilliant. And this is God's teaching for us for us to understand, not like it's taught, like it was taught from me, even at an early age in public schools, that man evolved, okay? God created everything, we see that. And so, then we know, he he named every single one of these, but a helpmate wasn't found for him. So, for God to do that, he had to cause a great sleep to fall upon Adam. So he would rest. And out of him he would take Eve. And of course, in the type, that's a picture. We are Christ Eve, his bride, and we're taken out of Christ in terms of what he's accomplished. And this we can go we'll go into in the future, but in Ephesians two, and and we see where man had his start in verse one, and in Ephesians two, verse one. And then we see to verse 10, we're we're the height of his creation. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. We see that. But then there was a fall in Genesis, the third chapter. So now the angelic conflict, now that enters into uh, mankind. Eve was deceived. She, She was deceived. Somehow, whether it was her fault or Adam's, because he wasn't there, she was uncovered. And that's a type of us, we need to be covered constantly by our head, Christ, by the initiator. Because we can't do anything but respond. And without proper headship and initiation of Christ, we only respond to what is not of God, which is not good and only evil. And then Adam definitely knew better, but he transgressed. He stepped over the bound. He knew better. So, then there was a fall. See? But what we see here is just what we see here even in the hebrew even in the hebrew bible we can see this we see this that genesis begins with the creation of the world the earth and even in god's order because the heavens and the earth as we see were formed the were with a form of what god had for what the appointed sphere for him to operate in it was that sphere So what we see here, what we see here is as far as time and space are concerned, that's when time began. Time began in the book of Genesis. That's why in John 1 and verse 1, in the beginning, which is eternity eternity past, all there was before there was anything created was the Father and Son in this eternal embrace with the Holy Spirit proceeding from them. Then time began with the creation of the earth, And what was God going to work out? Time has to do with the kingdom of God. And here's the difference between the kingdom. We have the kingdom of God, right? And the kingdom of heaven. See, the kingdom of God is he rules everywhere because in Isaiah 57 and verse 15, he inhabits eternity. Everywhere he is, he's ruling. Everywhere he is. He rules and He reigns, even with what's going on on the earth today. It wasn't God's design, but it was allowed in His predeterminate counsel in foreknowledge in Acts chapter 2 and verse 23. The kingdom of heaven is God's rule on the earth. That's why he would teach his disciples in the in the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and he taught the disciples how to pray. It wasn't the Lord's prayer, it was he was teaching the disciples to pray in Matthew 6 and verse 10. Your will be done on earth as it is in the heavens. (laughs) See, so it's this fear, it is this fear of the kingdom of God to be worked out on the earth. Because God, according to his eternal counsel, appointed this world, this earth, to be the scene for the revelation of his invisible essence. That's why we teach God's essence is very important. That's what makes it essential for us to understand the essence, nature, and character of God, which can't be done apart from Jesus Christ. Because remember, when the disciples did say in John 14 and verse 8, they said, show us the Father and, and that will be, that'll suffice us. That will be sufficient. And that's when Jesus said in John 14 verse 9, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You've seen him. Now, he created Adam for that to happen. Of course, in his predeterminate counsel and foreknowledge, he knew that wouldn't happen, but he still created Adam with a free will. But it was to be also his divine essence, that invisible essence, was to be for the operation or the order of his eternal love within and among those that were his creatures. This this was his plan. That that would have been his plan prior to the fall. But thank God and God's predetermined counsel and foreknowledge, as we said in Acts 2, verse 23, The works in Hebrews four, verse three, for what God would accomplish, and he could not through Adam, he did through his son in eternity past, who he always knew as the lamb. Nothing takes God by surprise. His plans for us are perfect. This is what makes it so necessary for you and I and our own individuality in time on earth right now to know that when once we're in Christ, we're the dot, God encircles himself around us. His plan for us is perfect and he has every single detail taken care of. That's what Jesus said in John 10, verse 30. I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. It was to be, this earth was to be for the operations of his eternal love within and among his creatures. Why? Because in the beginning, Genesis 1.1, he created the world, the earth, to be and to become the kingdom of God. Since the fall, in Genesis the third chapter, has it ever been that way? No. It's never been that way again. But the truth of the matter is, the creation of the heaven around the earth the third heavens, and the earth, therefore, what? Receives as its center this paradise, this garden, the Garden of Eden. And in paradise, man, what what did God do? He created him, what? In his image. In Genesis 1, 26 and 27, he created man, and when it says man, he sees man and woman. Because in, in Genesis chapter 5, and verses 1 and 2, he created them in his image. Male and female. The design of the creation of the human body with its parts determine male and female, and not another thing does. Not one other thing does do that. And so, he created man in his image, the image of God. Man is is as far as God is concerned, man in, in is spirit, soul, and body. That's what the prayer was in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 23. I pray God, your host, spirit, soul, and body, be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord, and faithful is he who calls you, who will what? Do it. He will do it. He called you to receive what only he's done and he's going to do in you. And that brings out again in Philippians chapter two, verses 12 and 13. The work that he's going to do. This is what makes the, our will necessary to be submitted to him. So the history of the world and of the kingdom of God begins with Adam. But he fell. He fell from, his, from having dominion over the earth. He And that's what God created him, to have dominion and through him to be the head over the, over the operation of the earth. But he fell, he, where did he do? He fell from God. He fell from God, what did he do? And in that fall he brought death. And remember what death is, it's never extinction ever in any language. It doesn't matter, Latin, Hebrew, Greek, English, doesn't matter, in every single language, known language, death is never extinction, it is always separation. And so that's what he was saying in Genesis 2, verse 17. Adam and Eve, Adam, if you choose to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, this is what it says in the original languages. Okay, This is what it says. In dying, you will die. In dying, being separated from me, your physical body will die, but your soul and your spirit will spend eternity somewhere. Because in Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 14, whatsoever God does, he does forever, and he created male and female in his image. And we'll get, we're going to get to this, but this, we need to have this foundation even in terms of, of this prophecy while God still brings out the beauty of our proper foundation, which is Christ. So what did he do? He brought death, and what does death bring? Corruption into the whole of creation. That's why when you read Romans the 8th chapter, you can start in the 22nd verse and go right through, the whole creation travails and groans until, until the sons of God can receive what's theirs in God's plan. The whole creation, and that's millennial reign. Nothing, nothing will be taken care of. Nothing. racism. Battles, wars, doesn't matter. It's not going to happen until Christ comes back. And even then, there'll be certain skirmishes that he'll deal with immediately. That's millennial reign. That is the kingdom of heaven, God's rule on the earth. That only happens through Christ on the earth. But right now, who does he rule in and over as our head? You and I, the body of Christ. That's right now. But we're getting back to this, and we see this. That's brought out. The whole creation was affected by his fall. You can see this in Genesis 3 and verse 17. You see it. You see it also in Romans chapter 8 and verse 19. So Adam's redemption, Adam and Eve's redemption is brought out even in this Hebrew Bible, was was what? Redemption from what? The fall. It was so far the fall that only Jesus, the Lamb, could bridge that fall. That's brought out in scores of other scriptures. But from the fall will be completed in and with the glorification of the heavens and the earth. Remember we said in Job 15, verse 15, he's going to deal with the earth, but even the heavens are not clean, it says, in his sight. By sin, by sin, which is evil, in Psalm 51, and verse 4, men have departed and separated themselves from God. I'm going to tell you, this is where all the evil plans of the enemy in this world system, of which he is for now, he is, in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the God of this world, he is, right now, the prince ruling in even evil men and things that they do today in John 12, 31, and in John 14, verse 30. Jesus even said in John 13 and verse 19, and in John 14 and verse 29, he said, I tell you these things before they come to pass. This includes prophecy and everything everything that the evil prophecy even did to our Lord and Savior, but we know why it was allowed. It was for the salvation of whosoever would. But we see that. I tell you these things before they come to pass. That when they come to pass, you might what? Believe, you might still trust me. Not only for myself, for the salvation of which we need that dawning light to constantly dawn in us in our growth in 2 Peter chapter 1 and, and, and verse 19, but to know prophecy. And all of us can know it. And we need a start. And that's why we're starting here. So men, by sin, have departed and separated themselves from God, the Planner. For God in what? His infinite mercy. His infinite mercy. Read Psalm 136, 1 through 26. It talks about him, his character, and all his creative acts. And he still had mercy. Even through the fall, he still had mercy. And that's even for us in Ephesians 2, 4. We were walking under the prince of the power of the air in Ephesians 2 1 through 3. We were just like everyone else, walking as in like children of disobedience, walking in the disobedient lie and pride of the enemy that came into, a, into the flesh. And so, but what happened? But God, in his, in his so great mercy in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4, he had great mercy. And that's what we have right now. Prophecies being, we have this foundation established in us. But right now, prophecy's working its way out. Right now, but we still have him when evil and prophecy, which surrounds us, because it's all evil right now. But we have, we have this high priest in Ephesians, in Hebrews chapter, chapter four and verse fourteen. We have this high priest who walking through all that evil as it was being worked out in prophecy, he himself in his humanity as God, truly God and truly man, truly God and truly man, he was walking through it. We we have a high priest who can be touched by every single thing that touches you and I. We have him. And then he has a throne where he rules and reigns. Okay? It's the throne of grace. That we can fly to right in the nick of time to have that mercy that we that we deeply need. So God in his mercy didn't cut himself off from, from men, his creatures. Did you know every single evil person alive? And God knows, God knows when, when then they won't receive him, but he still gives them every single opportunity. Because in Ezekiel 18, verse 23 verse 23, does God have any pleasure when the wicked die and live eternally separated from him? No, he's not willing in 2 Peter 3, 9 for any, he's not willing that any should die and be separated from him. He's not that, that's not who our Savior is. That's not who God is in his essence, his character, his nature. But, after the fall from that time forward from that time forward god continued to reveal His, himself to them that he might draw them back to himself what an opportunity even when we see the evil about what's going on all over the world and even in ukraine right now this becomes an opportunity in the midst of the evil of the evil adversary, the one who opposes and is an adversary of God, and and he is an an opposer and an adversary of God, so of course he's going to go after men who God deeply loves and become there to cause them to oppose themselves in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 25, to oppose them because God is so for them. And he waits to be gracious in Isaiah 30 and verse 18. So he continued to reveal himself that he might draw them back to himself and lead them from the path of destruction to the way of salvation. And we know the way of salvation is Jesus in John 14 and verse 6, in Job 9 and verse 33, in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, and in 1 Timothy 2 and verse 5. And those scriptures will explain the truth about God and his nature, character, and essence. But these operations of God in that time, all through prophecy, all through that time, were known as theophanies. And a theophany is how God would reveal himself, whether through angels or through the pre-incarnate Christ. So in Genesis 3... In verse 8, it says they heard the voice of God walking in the garden. That was a theophany that was Christ in his pre-incarnate state. So when you see Lord capitalized in the Old Covenant, that's the pre-incarnate Christ. But he also had messengers. But a theophany is just simply revelations by word or how God, his deed, how he operated in the historical development of the human race which became and becomes in God's eyes. In God's eyes, what is it? It's only a history of the plan of salvation. What Satan meant for evil in Genesis 50, verse 20, God means for what? Good. Who's good? His good. And if it's his good, and he's finished, and he's satisfied, then is it for our good? And it is. So the book of Genesis narrates in this broad and deep, comprehensive sketch that he does, from its beginning to the time of all those patriarchs, that God himself chose out of all those nations of the earth to be the bearers of salvation as vessels for the entire world. And there was a space of years. There was a long space of years. As a matter of fact, it was 2,300 years From Adam to the flood. By the time we got to the flood, it was 1,656. To the entrance of Abram into Canaan. Look at the years. This is all prophetic history. To 365. Even to Joseph, his death, and we see that, of course, in Genesis. To his death, that was the year 285. In all, there were 2,306 years that were divided into two periods. It's very clear in the Scriptures. We need to know this if we're going to understand prophecy. These things take time. So, give God time and give yourself time by being humble, like we all need to be, to receive grace for him To cause this to make sense in you and I. Because only he can do that. But he can do it. And he will do it. As long as we're entreatable. So we see this all the way through. All the way through. And we're going to leave out a lot because, you know, there's just so much to get into here. But what we see, the first period, remember we said there were two periods. The first period embraces the development of the, what? Of What is it? The development of the human race from its first creation in fall to its dispersion over all the earth. All these people all over the earth. And then the division of one race into many nations with different languages. And it's divided by the flood into two distinct separate ages, time periods, which we can call the primeval age and the preparatory age. Now, what is the prime, primeval age? It was from Adam to Noah. That's the history of the fall. From Adam, and you can read these. you can read them right through in, in those first 10 chapters, 11 chapters, 10 chapters, I should say. That's from, from Adam to Noah. That goes into the fall. And that goes right into the fall. And then out of that fall, we see the fall from Adam. Adam and Eve had two sons. They had two sons and they were in a fallen state, but they needed to bring the proper sacrifice, right? It was Cain and Abel. Abel brought the right sacrifice, meaning he was taught by his parents that in the future, in the future, Christ would would send his sacrificial son, his son to be the sacrifice. And those types represented it. And their faith looked forward and they could receive the truth of Christ being their savior. That's when they could do that. And then Cain refused it. Under the inspiration of Satan, he refused it. He took from the cursed ground to bring a sacrifice. That's all, that's all it can be if it's not Christ in him, in him alone, it's a curse from the enemy meant to destroy and keep people in bondage and keep them on their way to hell. So what we see again here, very clearly, and again, the, the understanding the Hebrew and understanding it, it brings it out. We see this very, very clear. That's the history of the fall. Cain, it says, was wroth. You see that in Genesis chapter four and verses three through five, He was through six. He was so angry that God rejected his works because he didn't bring in type the proper sacrifice. He went out from the presence of God. The first thing that he did, the first thing that he did, and the influence and submission of his will to Satan, he became the first human murderer. The first human murderer. Because who's the liar and the murderer from the beginning in John 8 verse 44, the beginning in eternity, which is Ezekiel, the 28th chapter, And the 15th verse bring out clearly, clearly brings it out. So we can see that. We can see it clearly. He becomes the first murderer. Then God, again, Christ, who is the word, speaks to him and says, where is your brother Abel? He said, I don't know. Am I supposed to worry about my creator? Do you see that right there? In his fallen state, who does he care about? Does he care about anybody else? Does he care about God? He only cares about himself. Does that sound familiar? Does that might even sound familiar about what's going on over in Europe? Does that sound familiar? Sounds very familiar, doesn't it? So we know where that comes from. It's just a part of prophecy, folks. It is. It's part of, a part of the continuing prophetic word and plan of God being worked out. And again, we can see that crystal clear, crystal clear in the scriptures. We see the history of the fall. But then we see how they lived, the longevity of those two families. But remember, Cain went out. He went out from the presence of God in fierce anger. Listen, the whole world system, under Satan, through Cain, through fallen humanity, is nothing, was nothing but built on the murder and hatred of Jesus Christ, period. That's it. You can see, Abel brought Christ in, in, in type as a sacrifice. Cain, under Satan, would not submitting his will, hated it. The whole world system, everything about it, is built on the hatred and murder of Christ and to be nothing but the opponent and adversary of God himself. We're going to see it. He went out from the presence of God in Genesis 4 and verse 16. Read it. Verse 17, it says, and he built a city. It's a whole world system. Have have its music, have its arts, have its crafts, be busy with business and agriculture, whatever, all designed to keep out the presence of Christ, a sacrificial Savior. Man gonna do it himself. He himself in religion is gonna bridge his way back to God. Well, we, they tried that in Genesis the eleventh chapter, the Tower of Babel. No wonder Babel means what? It's confusion. Huh? God confused, brought confusion into all their plans. <laughs> no wonder he has a plan for us. And when we don't submit to him, what do we enter into? Just like the rest of the world, just total confusion, confusion. And we base it upon sight. And if certain things don't happen a certain way, when we think they need to happen, what's going to happen then? Will God come through? <laughs> well... If he's going to deny you and I in Christ, right? He has to not deny himself and the satisfaction that his son won for him, for us. That's what would have to happen. So he goes out and he builds a city. He had, Man has his religion. Has his religion. But keep him as comfortable and convenient in this earth. <laughs> Listen to me. Comfortable and convenient as he can to keep, to not, have him to go forward and find Christ. That's why, that's why, that's what he does with us and he does everything he can to tell, to try and us in Christ, try to convince us we can't continue to go forward based upon what we see. So in that sense, what do we have to do if we're not going forward? What do we do? Go right back. That's called backsliding, by the way. And that's sin. <laughs> to not obey God and his call is what? To him that knows to do good, in James four 17, does it not? To him it is what? It's sin. It's sin. It's sin not to trust God. It is. It's sin. Because who's influencing us with that evil? When my mind is not submitted, when my will is not submitted, he fills my mind with bad thoughts. Those bad thoughts initiate to my emotions. That becomes my self-conscience my self-consciousness, and then my conscience appears to me in Titus 1 verse 15 to be defiled, which it's not, but it's based upon a lie. That's why in Proverbs 23, 23, it says, buy the truth and sell it not. Don't sell out like Cain did and like the whole world system does. And the only place when we don't go forward is to go right back to the flesh, and you know who's in control of that. Who's in control of our flesh? The worst enemy we could even imagine. The worst enemy we could even imagine. And so he went out and he built a city. From that time forward, you'll look at it all the way through till we get to here. And this is what I want to jump to, and we're going to jump. And there's a lot of history here because it's already 10 minutes of (laughs) already 10 minutes up but this is necessary for us to lay this foundation it's very necessary because God doesn't want us to skip steps okay He doesn't want to but you can you can watch you can watch what happened in Genesis by the time we get to Genesis the sixth chapter okay by the time we get there you see the whole corruption of man and I don't want to get into Genesis chapter 6 1 through 4 I'm not going to get into was the uh, human race polluted, by fallen angels that were cast into Tartarus, Or was it just man being corrupt? In either case, in either case it was evil, right? Based upon corruption, because they separated from God with a choice of their will. But by the time we get to Genesis the sixth chapter in the fifth verse, look at what it says. This is what God saw. He said, now when the wickedness of man became great, listen to what it says, and this is the Hebrew, every imagination of the thought of his heart, of his mind, his imagination, all his purposes and design was only evil continually nonstop. (laughs) Continually nonstop, and altogether nonstop evil. Evil. And, it, and in this sense, it repented God that he had made man and he determined to, what? to wipe them out. Now, would God have wiped out any of those that he knew would receive his son? Of course he wouldn't have. Okay? He, of course he wouldn't have. And what makes any of us think when, we, when ridiculous and very stupid and evil teaching about universal salvation that somehow once people are in hell if on earth they didn't want a thing to do with God what makes them think that they would even enjoy heaven in God's presence and there is no second chance by the way hell is real and by the way as much as some hell is eternal in the sense it's even cast into the lake of fire you see that in In Revelations, the twentieth chapter. You can even read in the nineteenth chapter, towards the end of that chapter, where the beast and false prophet are cast alive. There, and then hell, and then hell and death. Hell is where the spirit and soul goes. The hell, death is where the body goes, and they're both cast. Both the body. The, the unsaved, their spirit and soul is re- reunited with their old physical evil body with all of its lust for all eternity never being fulfilled. And that's what hell and death cast into the lake of fire. Revelations 20, 10 to 15. But every single imagination was. Every single imagination. Every single one. Every single one. The force of that Hebrew word there where it says it repented the Lord It's gathered from a Hebrew word, which it just means it grieved him at his heart. It grieved him. That man that he loved so deeply and being so separated from him in spiritual death became so evil against him. Became so evil. You know, and again, that's why we need to be careful. That's why we need to be careful to to, uh, not grieve the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, in Ephesians 4, 29, to not let any corrupt communication proceed out of our mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister what? Grace to the hearers, and grieve not the Holy Spirit. He'll be grieved, he'll be grieved, and there'll be godly sorrow when we repent, but then there will be no regret. We confess it in 1 John 1, 9. But here, it shows this, that it grieved him, it repented, it grieved him at his heart, right to his core. This shows that the, that the repentance or the grieving of God does not presuppose any variableness in his nature or his purposes. Meaning that grieving that God experienced did not change anything about his nature or his purpose. not that awesome? And in this sense, because in this sense, God never changes his mind about anything. So that's why it says, even in Numbers 23 and verse 19, that God is not a man that he should what? Lie. And then when it says repent, that means change his mind. What do we do in the flesh? We live in a lie because that's the flesh. We got it from the liar, father of all lies, John 8 44. And then we change our mind. Well, it's going great. Now, since it's not, well, I got to do something different. Notice that? See, we can define it without any condemnation without any condemnation. So the repentance of God in that sense is an anthropomorphic expression. What does that mean? We ascribe to God human things about us, not in the evil sense, but in the, in the best sense, so that we can know how he operates, how he is, what his nature and character is, as best as we can, being weak, frail vessels that we are growing in him. Right? It's an expression, though, when God, when it says it grieves his heart and he repents, it's the pain of divine love. Isn't that? It's amazing. It's, it's, It's the pain of divine love at the sin of man and signifies this, that God is hurt, no less, by the atrocious sins of men than if they pierced his heart with mortal anguish. Oh, God. So amazing. So the destruction of all, from man unto all every animal, every creation, is to be explained on the ground of the sovereignty of man upon the earth, his will unsubmitted, thus becoming an irrational creature that was obviously created for God himself, but therefore their God becomes involved even in his fall to bring him out. This is our God. This is very important to know what God is like. Even in the beginning here. But this destruction was not to bring the human race to an end. And don't you think the enemy wanted that? Oh yeah. In John 10, a the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Christ says, I have come that they might have life and to experience in a superabundance for all eternity. No. It was not for that. Why? Because in Genesis six verse eight, as many as want to say, "Well, God wasn't gracious till the new covenant." I beg the dipper. Let's read Genesis six verse eight. What did Noah find in the eyes of the Lord? Grace. It was grace that entered, that allowed him to enter into the ark. The ark is a type of Christ. Those eight that went in were saved from the waters of justice. That ark stood above the waters. of of judgment that would wipe out the whole earth. Only eight went in, because only eight chose to. Because Noah preached to them for 120 years, and all they did was mock. That's what the world system, is an opponent and an adversary of God and man, he mocks. Do you know, that's what the enemy does. He wants to give the unsaved. He promises them great things. He'll give them just enough, whatever it is, gold, silver, it doesn't matter. Just enough, because he knows it will destroy them. And that's the only reason he does it. That's why it's so important for you and I, as those that are Christ, to submit to his plan and to trust him, to trust him. And to wait for God to work things out in our life, because we are in an angelic conflict. That conflict entered into into prophecy, and God is working it all out. He's dealing with the angelic conflict because men either function in God through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, or they're functioning under the enemy, all his demonic army. We see that crystal clear. Revelations 12 and verse 4, his tail drew a third of the stars of an innumerable host of angels, and those angels become what we know now as demons. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and in these words mercy is seen in the midst of wrath. Notice that? God was angry, there was wrath, but in that wrath still was mercy, pledging the preservation and restoration of humanity. You know what we function like in the flesh? We function just like, just like the world. That's why we teach, and the Bible teaches all of us, that our flesh that's in us, in Romans 8, 9, is no different than the unsaved. Because they function in rash conclusions. Yeah, it's going to get better. I feel for these people in Ukraine. God may stay it and delay certain things, and He might not. It's not going to get better. This world is not going to get better. This world is not going to be a utopia with the foolish dreams of the enemy inspiring others to think about. No, those rash conclusions, all they are is a sufficient proof of the deception. An absolutely futile character of all such human reasoning. And that's what makes it so important for us as believers to understand that in 2 Corinthians 10.4, the weapons of our warfare don't have anything to do with us. Flesh and blood, that's brought out again in Ephesians 6.12. Okay? The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. How? Casting down what? Imaginations, all these false reasonings. And every high thing, the demonic atmosphere, hoopsema, that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. What's the knowledge of God towards you and I? It's who we are in Christ, who he is in us, through his word. Through his word. And we're to cast down all that reasoning. All that bad, false reasoning. We can see that crystal clear. And then What? To somehow believe the lie of the enemy that apart from Christ, there's going to be an expectation in the change of human fallen nature. The whole world system's developed on that. But no God, out of pure mercy and long sufferings right now, would never send a second flood. And that's the rainbow, the rainbow of promise and then and, and we'll close with that, in Genesis chapter 9, verses 13 and 14, he'll never flood the earth again. He'll renovate it by fire to, to prepare us to go into the eternity of the eternity in 2 Peter 3 and verse 13. No question about that. There is no question about that. He, he will do that. He will do it. But for us, we're kept. We're kept in this beautiful place. And we're going to see it as we work through it. But this is necessary to lay this foundation because we need to lay this foundation and we don't need to skip certain things. And as best as God can do it do it and give it to me, I'll do my best to allow that my sentence will be that that comes from his presence and to make it as understandable as we can. So we'll close this particular part right now. And Father, thank you even for this morning for this. But i tell you i just can't wait i cannot wait for monday i'm so excited and to know that if there's no fear in your love none about prophecy because prophecy does not concern us we are products of heaven not of the earth there's no wrath for us in 1 Thessalonians 1, 10 and 5, 9 because Christ accomplished all of that on our behalf and in place of us in John 3 and verse 36. But the wrath of God on those that haven't received him, even right now, in this dispensation of grace, his church age, his prophecies being fulfilled, his wrath still continues. His, his does, but he's preparing it. He's preparing this earth for the second advent, the second coming of Christ, but in between those two is the is the rapture of us as heavenly people. Father, thank you so much in Jesus name. Amen.